Well, welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all their people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm the other host, DM Neil, a.k.a. Joke Maniac. And today we have an awesome episode lined up for you. We have an awesome guest as well. We have Matthew Colville, and he is going to be joining us to talk about home bases in your campaign, creating a home base, different ideas for home bases, giving your players a place that their PCs can constantly be going back to and a place to call home, right? Right, Neil? To call Uh home. I see what you did. (laughs) But before we do that, let's read some five-star reviews. We've got some shout-outs today. Neil, take us away. So the first one up is from Bones51972. <laughs> I feel like it's that song with all the numbers Were in all it. the uh, <laughs> Bones up to 51972 taken oh, already? I hope so. Just went and tried everyone. Oh yeah, one at a time. What a noble effort. And they titled it Taking the Stress Out of Being a DM. Five stars. Love these guys. Just got back into D&D after having not played since my teens. The advice, tips, stories, and DMnastics. Yes! <laughs> made getting back into the game so much of an easier transition. I binge listened 45 episodes so far and can't wait to use all of the things I've learned in every session. I especially loved the episode with DM Morgan from Going In Blind. Keep up the great work from DM Shafe. Thank you, DM Shafe, a.k.a. Bones51972. <laughs> yes, thank you so for much. For the awesome review. Our next one is entitled Climbing to the Top and is from L. Northcutt. Oh, man, this is like a... I've got to read this like a DM. Yeah. All right, here we go. And it says... You're on the bottom of a rock face. The entire party is clueless of what to do, and you look into your inventory. You have rope, a grappling hook, and your iPhone. You plug into DM's block, hit play, and scale the wall. You may take a fall or two, but by the time you make it to the top, you've not only strengthened your body, but you have also strengthened your mind and DM skills. This podcast is always on when I climb at the rock gym, when I bike to and from school, and every now and then when my fiance doesn't mind hearing it while I'm driving. (laughs) That's awesome. These guys have so many great ideas and bring so many great people on to talk about anything and everything regarding the art of D&D. If you are a first-time DM like myself who could use some inspiration and guidance, this is the place for you. I would recommend this and have to all of my friends. Awesome. You're awesome. To anyone who is even the slight bit interested in D&D. Way to go, guys. Also, hashtag food mage, because why not? Thank you so much, L. Northcutt. That was a fantastic review. (laughs) Well done. But with that, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. So for the meat this week, we are going to be talking about the home base, making a home base a part of your campaigns that your PCs can constantly be going back to, can have as a place where they can just call home. And to join us for this discussion, we have a very special guest. We have Matthew Coville, lead writer at Turtle Rock Studios and a YouTuber. And he's a YouTuber because he talks about what else DMing on YouTube. Go check out those videos. So thank you, Matt, for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on. I'm super excited. So for our first interview question, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? 
anything you think our listeners would find interesting about you? You know, I'm, I was born in 1970. I live in Southern California. I have three cats. I work at Turtle Rock Studios. I make games for a living professionally. I write fantasy novels in my spare time. And I am now Dungeons and Dragons has kind of started to take over my life. <laughs> Something that used to just be my hobby is now turning into this whole huge thing. We understand, Matt. We understand. Mm -hmm. You know, that's me. You write fantasy novels. That was not something that I was aware of. What kind of fantasy novels? Tell us a little bit about your fantasy novels. I started a couple of years ago when a company I used to work at called Pandemic got shut down by EA. Some friends of mine and I started our own little company and just while, and I became like, really, we were making games. And so I wanted to keep my writing muscles, you know, active. And so while we were doing that, I wrote a fantasy novel called Priest. You can get it on Amazon. And I just wanted to write something that was shorter. You know, I, I sort of checked out of fantasy in the 90s just because of how the race to make the books as thick as possible. Mm -hmm. And I thought they were <laughs> grossly overwritten, badly in need of an editor. They were great paperweights, though. <laughs> yeah, they were. Yeah, they're great doorstops. And there, there was a time when a lot of publishing companies laid off most of their editors because they reasoned they're expensive and people don't read the editing. And I hearken back, I really miss those days where a fantasy novel was like 350 pages. Yeah. And so I wanted to write something that was kind of more dialogue and action based and less about, you know, spending four pages describing the world building and marry it to a kind of um, hard boiled detective kind of spirit. And so I started writing and I've got two books out and I used to say, and I'm working on the third, except I guess that's a lie now because now oh, what I work no. on is my YouTube channel and my stronghold <laughs> rules and other stuff that I've promised people. That's awesome. I know like as someone who is a slow reader, I definitely like hearing that because to me, I, I sometimes I see books that are those huge fantasy novels and I'm just like, oh, where do I even start? My friends all tell me that I need to start Wheel of Time and I'm just like, do not. You know that's, how that's much false. Yeah. Not only how much of a like <laughs> the great thing about Wheel of Time is that not only is it really long, it's awful. <laughs> it's like it's these are awful, awful books. Do not read oh, them. Oh goodness. I had to professionally read that first novel because I was working for a company that was designing the Wheel of Time pen and paper RPG. And I was like, this is terrible. Why do people read this? <laughs> so yeah, no, do not listen to those people. They're wrong. I love it. They're, they're not your friends and they don't like you. <laughs> All right. So not only don't listen to them, but cut them off from my life. Yeah, because they are trying to punish people. you. They think you're a bad person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, when, when somebody says to me, I'm a slow reader or I don't read a lot, I feel like you are the person that I wrote these books for. Yeah. So, you know, if you open to any random page, you're likely to find dialogue. And that's a lot more my style is people talking, people fighting. Cool stuff happens. Perfect. Well, I'll have to check out those books. What are the names? Priest and Thief. There's a series of five books, and the next one is Fighter. Even the titles are short and to the point. I like it. <laughs> yeah, and I also, I, I kind of deliberately, they're not, you know, it's fair for people to think, especially if you know me from YouTube, that, oh, they're D&D &D novels. But, and there is a certain element of that. What I wanted to do is, consciously, I wanted to kind of try to do for fantasy what the TV show Heroes did for comic books, mm. where they took all these super noodly tropes of comics and then reskinned them for a popular audience. And so I think there's a lot of stuff in these that if you're a fantasy nerd or if you're a D&D nerd, you recognize. But if you're not, they just seem like good story. I hope good storytelling. 
Awesome. So our next question to you is, is there anything currently with uh, whether it's Turtle Rock Studios or YouTube or anything beyond that, that you're working on currently that you're really, really excited about and you'd like to tell our listeners about? I'm working on something right now for a couple friends of mine that is a, it's a contract gig. I can't talk about it except to say <laughs> it's, right. it hasn't been announced yet, except to say it's the like one of the most exciting things I've worked on in a long time. I've got uh, Turtle Rock Studios has gone from being a one project company where we make one big, huge game at a time to now having many different irons in the fire which is a lot more fun and a lot healthier awesome. and again i can't talk about any of those i don't think <laughs> just keep your eye out for things coming from turtle rock is what you're saying we just released on valentine's day we just released a product for the samsung gear vr which is if you have a samsung phone you can get these gear vr goggles mm-hmm. that your phone plugs into and oculus slash facebook has partnered with us to make a bunch of these little Gear VR, they're not games, they're just experiences. And it's been a fantastic process for us because we have been learning a lot about how to make, you know, in preparation for ideally making a big VR game. Stay tuned. We've been doing a lot of these just experiences and learning how to light stuff. Like, I don't know if you know who John Carmack is. He's one of the guys that founded uh, id Software. And he just, he's a famous programmer. He's huge in the business. And he just yesterday played our virtual reality experiences and kind of graded it and gave us like an A+. So that was a huge... That was a huge boon for us. And just working in the VR space is incredibly exciting. So yeah, on, on what is it, Tuesday, we released, I think it's called The Betrayal, which is our first VR experience that has a character in it. So we did mocap for it and wrote dialogue and got an actress to come in and read it and everything, just like a real game. And it just released and it's pretty cool. That's awesome. People, when I tell people I'm busy, I'm, that's no joke. Yeah. <laughs> so a little bit of backstory for us and the listener is how did you first get started in RPGs? I mean, I was I've been aware of D&D for a long time ever since my mom when I was like nine. I might have been. No, yeah, I had to be like at the latest, like 11 or 12 heard about D&D on the news because it was now becoming notorious yep. for, <laughs> you know, kids disappearing in steam tunnels demons and devils yeah exactly and my mom had had a theater background and so she hearing about this story and also i think kind of wanting to be the person at work the next day who actually knew what it was Mm -hmm. went out and bought the red box that's amazing but we never like i was sitting down to play it with her i had no idea what i was in for no idea really what it was because i was too young at the time and although i I think i'd played the dungeon board game which is actually also by tsr so i had Mm -hmm. some idea what it was going to be about and i kind of i looked at this piece of paper this non-repro blue map and my mom slammed her hand down on the table and said no don't look at that that's the map of the dungeon (laughs) that you're going to explore if you look at that again we're not playing and i was like oh come on and kind of like to kind of just to just to play around with her, I just lifted the corner up and put it back down. And she went, all right, that's it. And she threw the whole thing away and we never played. <laughs> so that was my, technically that was my first exposure, but it wasn't that's until I got into high school. And I, yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's, yeah, that's my mom. Don't mess around with Mama Colville. She's not joking. So that she, I wasn't until I was in high school that I met some guys in like in computer science and history. And I signed the yearbook saying, hey, if you guys get together over the summer to play games, give me a call. Oh, and they did. And they invited me to play a bunch of games, Axis and Allies. And then also uh, D&D. And they regretted that because they're like, you should play one of these new paladins that just came out. And I picked the one that got a bonus to hit and damage every level. Plus one to hit, plus one to damage every level against chaotic people, creatures. And everyone else in the party was chaotic. And so over time, there became this escalation between <laughs> between me and them. Regarding <laughs> the fact that the longer we played, the easier it was for me to kill them. And they didn't like that. And that was that was my introduction to the game. Oh, that's awesome. So... 
We have, as we do with all guests, a secret question that you had no idea was coming. And this one comes from one of our Patreon dragons, a platinum Patreon dragon to be precise, named DM Exitum. DM Exitum. He asks, how often do you intentionally or unintentionally spin real world puns into your games? And then he gives a great example. He says, one PC casts Awaken on a oak tree who introduced himself as Oakland, so they put him in charge of a raiding party. So, <laughs> the Oakland Raider, that's pretty clever. Perfect, exactly. I mean, as a dungeon master, I think the answer is close to never. Hmm. As a player, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? What is the difference? Because I feel like, I guess instinctively, I feel like as a dungeon master, it's my job to sell the reality of the world. And if the players want to take it and have fun with it, that makes me happy because yeah. that means they're having a good time. But I feel like it's my job to set the tone. And unless I'm running a deliberately funny game, I mean, I do stuff like I sing Prince's Purple Rain and rewrite the lyrics <laughs> for a purple worm when I'm grabbing oh, the purple great. worm to put it on the table. Can right? we hear a couple, uh, uh, a couple of verses? I only want to see you eaten by a purple worm. Purple worm. Purple Thank you. Oh my so gosh. That's, Thank you, that happens all the time for that's, asking this. That's yeah. completely, that doesn't have anything to do with the names of the characters. I take things like names, like, but that's because I think because I'm a writer, I take names seriously and I want the players to believe in the world. And if they then decide to screw around with it, that's fine. No, I like that answer a lot. I mean, I think that's exactly how I would probably uh, think of it too. When I'm, when I'm the DM, it's like, I want to keep putting you deeper into this world in your mind. And when I'm a player, like I am well known in my group as probably the biggest instigator. And I I have no problem (laughs) making a joke that's going to make everybody laugh and just pulling them out of the game. I'm a jerky player. I wonder if that's because like when you get the chance to be a player, it's you want to just let off so much (laughs) steam. It's like I have to be serious as the DM. Yeah. As a fellow DM, it's like, no, no, no. It's your job now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You deal with this. I'm my problem. That's great question awesome well now that we've got that out of the way we're gonna go ahead and move into making sure that all your base are belong to us so we're gonna talk about the home base and the first topic we want to get to is why have it i mean if you can't establish that or believe in that as the dm you're never going to offer it to your players and you're probably not going to be able to get them to buy into that idea yeah and i think that's important too is like making sure that the players have a purpose for a home base as well Sure. Well, I think that I've always felt like I know my game is going well when the players of their own initiative, without me saying anything, Mm -hmm. after having cleared out a dungeon or a temple or something, say, we should use this as our base. Yes. Right. I feel like, aha, this is the beginning of the players making the world their own, (laughs) you know, and becoming things acting rather than the things acted upon, right? Until that moment, it's my world and I put challenges in front of them and they are purely being reactive. But when they say, we should make this place our base, I go, aha, now they are the ones acting and taking the initiative and saying, we're going to make this world Matt has created ours. Yeah, 
I like that idea too because isn't it cool as the dungeon master to hear that said by the players? It's not even buy-in because they're coming up with the idea themselves. But beyond that, now you probably have a place or a dungeon or whatever it is that if they didn't bring that up, it would have been like, all right, scrap that. Maybe I'll bring that back in a couple of years for another group or something, but I won't see that place ever again. And now you've got a place that it's like, oh, the time I spent making this, whatever it is, whatever place it is, they're going to want to come back to this constantly and that's really cool for them to want to do that yeah i had i used to use i I still do i use a a lot of a product called gaming paper which is basically like wrapping paper with a grid printed on it and my players went through a temple and i mapped the whole thing out on one big piece of paper because we could just keep unrolling it and when they were done the priest player was like well now that we've reconsecrated this i should just stay here and he (laughs) took that map he took that big that's awesome and anytime they're like, let's go back to Tom's temple, they would just unroll that map and they would put where their characters were and stuff. And yeah. so it was a, this great visual component on top of whatever, you know, graph paper I had. They had their own map of this temple that they could use whenever they went back home. Oh, that's fantastic. And like as a DM, I think there's nothing cooler than when you spend something like all that time and then for a player to constantly be carrying around that map. Yeah. Like the props that you make, like to hand out, you want there to be this like moment of, oh, wow, this is cool and especially if a player's like oh can i keep this can i bring this with me like that's a great feeling yeah it's like when that one player who takes notes and goes back and refers back to the notes you really feel yes like your work <laughs> is rewarded like i put yeah. that work into that and they're now using it and remembering it yeah oh what are you doing over there uh, i'm just taking notes on the story yeah. oh that that hits home yeah it's great <laughs> whenever a player does that it's like here's some oh, inspiration and five dollars <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah here's Immediately inspiration and five positive reinforcement on that right yeah. <laughs> well yeah the number of times i've also taken like printed material and then reworked the maps for the players to give to them for that same level of ownership like countless times and like the hours that i've spent because i you know i want them to be invested so i remember the old third edition forge of fury Oh, yeah. Same it's great thing adventure. Where, yeah. And then they had essentially that same thing where they've reconsecrated it. So I took that map out and then like redid it and gave it to them. And like, here, it's yours. What do you want to do? Yeah, I think that's great. I think that that's um, I, I also I mean, I deliberately run. It's not obvious to the players when it's happening. They think it's a narrative thing. But I often run games where adventurers are at best considered suspicious and at worst dangerous <laughs> and loathed. So <laughs> that like when they go to the inn. In the middle of this like town in the middle of nowhere, the inn keeps like, yeah, there's a room available. It's a hundred gold per night, hmm. and they're like, what? Mm. And it's like because the innkeep thinks you people yep. are here to bring us danger. Huh. You don't think of it that way, but we live here, and mm. we have to put up with the results of whatever crazy stuff you people dig up. And that attitude on the part of the townspeople that the players have to overcome, right? They have to earn these people's respect. They have to show these people that we're not like we're not just mercenaries, right? That also makes them want to have their own place, right? So they don't realize this when I'm doing it, but I am motivating them to go get their own base because back in town, people do not trust them. Yeah. It's so funny you said that because my mind went a totally different direction and granted it could probably be incorporated in, but I was like, they're fleecing them. Like, I know you got money. I'm not charging you one gold. I'm charging you 100 gold. Yeah, well, and it's not because these guys are rich. These are first level adventurers. It's it's literally because that's their way of saying we don't want you here. Yeah. We yeah. don't want you here. You bring us pain and danger. 
I like that. That creates an early tension. The players need a place to sleep and, and gear up. Yeah. And this is a way for them to... And the good players want to earn these people's trust and say, that's not who we are. We're not like that. But at the same time, as soon as they have the opportunity to uh, take a place and make it their own, they're always thinking about, it's going to be a much nicer to stay here than it is to go back to town and have those people yell at us. It's so funny, too, because you bring up inns. And like I've had players who want to have a home base just so they don't have to hear like uh, going into an inn. Oh, that'll be two gold for the night stay. I have players who have like a thousand something gold that roll their eyes. They're like, oh, the two gold. And it's like, come on, guys. <laughs> what do you expect it to be free? <laughs> There's always like one or two players like that. In every yeah, group that always, like, it doesn't matter how much money them. they have. They're like, they're like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I have to pay this much for this. This is stupid. Oh. Right. But I think that it is a great place to have a place, a home base where your players can lay their head, put gear that they don't want to carry around with them. I know I like to play with weight because I used to think that it was such a like complicated thing. And now I'm like, that's ah, really not that complicated. Just got to be on top of it. And so like there may be things that you come across that even if you're not doing it with weight, you're like, oh, that's really heavy. You're not going to be carrying that around. Right, or, oh, yeah. that's there's no reason for you to carry that around on a constant basis. And if you have a home base, it's a good place for you to store things that you don't want to get rid of, don't want to sell, but you want to keep it and it's good for different moments in time or whatever it is. It's a good place for you to lay your head. I think there also comes to a point where it's like it's a good place for there to be some aspect of defense. Whether we're talking about like an actual home base that has walls, it's going to be hard to break into or if we're talking about like a hidden like we've talked already before about a, a like dungeon kind of like area that maybe is hidden from the rest of the world world, a home base might be a good place to put an item that the players can't destroy or something, but they're afraid of the outside world getting to. Sure. Yeah. Or even like if they have a person that is an NPC that they need to protect, it might be a great thing to put them in a home base and say, stay here. No one's going right. to find you in our secret hideout. We're afraid of the enemy killing you. Yeah. Because it belongs to them. Yeah, and that's a big part of my um, philosophy I have in the game I run is that the base isn't really yours until you've defended it. Yeah. And that people are going to come like – and I have – in my game, I give my players – whoever's base it is because it has to – my attitude, it belongs to one character. And if the other characters want the benefits, they have to go start their own you know, strongholds is that if they want the mechanical benefit that they get out of the base, they have to defend it in war. And that mm. also helps, and this is, I think, another important part of the base, is that it's the beginning of the players thinking about the world on kind of a political level, right? Like, if when they decide we're going to build something, or we're going to take this place over, other people in the world don't want them to do that, mm. right? That they might not even know about. Yeah. And that notion of your the players and their characters, their growing power in the world becomes a threat to other people, not all of whom are evil. Some of them might just be, you know, uh, other lords and other locals who consider their base a threat. And so they have to defend it. And once that happens, then they get a mechanical benefit out of it. I like giving the players the sense of we're not just mercenaries going into dungeons to get treasure and gold and magic items, but we are beginning to affect the politics of the world. Yeah. And I think that for most dungeon masters, especially if it's a situation like you were talking about before, Matt, where you literally have a map already made up and you give it to your players and then they have a map of the place. I think for most dungeon masters, not in like sadistic way, but like we are thinking like this is a great place for there to be eventually a battle. Oh, yeah, because we've already got a map for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that the players, even some of them in their mind, will are probably thinking the same thing. Like, oh, one day we're going to be able to defend this place 
place and they might even put in stuff that helps them defend uh by by some means yeah we actually did a live stream so you can watch this game on youtube where the players had taken over a, a ruined keep and were rebuilding it and again because they were turning into this notorious power in the world mm -hmm. uh, a member of the thieves guild tried to infiltrate their keep and one of the players had cast an alarm spell on the like the secret door that led to the underground yeah and the alarm spell went off they had a map so they're like but let's bust out the map where is this guy they're asking me right it was their keep it was oh. their map and now they were asking me show us where this dude is where did the alarm spell go off and i was like this is super cool and you can, i think fantastic. you could actually watch that happen on youtube well, i mean it's such a basic concept for like the fact of the matter is monsters of some kind thought it was cool enough to live in there in the first place yeah exactly. players thought it was cool enough to go attack it and then make it their own i'm dead set someone else in this world is also going to think it's cool enough and want to take it from them yes. right and it's a certain amount of role reversal right like the players were the ones who went in and killed everything that was in here and made it theirs and now other people other monsters other factions are going to try and do the same thing to them mm -hmm. exactly and it's like fun to get another perspective on that stuff let's move on and talk about some different locations some different places that can be set up as home bases we've already discussed like the idea of dungeons we can expound upon that but what are some other places that would be a perfect place to call a home base for your pcs well, I mean, I've had in my game players clear out or you know, there was a great temple in against the cult of the reptile god that there's a map for it. And when the players get there, this is a classic TSR adventure from the 80s. When the players get there, it's been taken over by bad guys and they don't have to, but it behooves them to reverse that process. And at the end of that process, whether they even think about it or not, they've cleared out a temple. And if there's a cleric yeah. in the party, the cleric is naturally going to think, hey, I could make this my temple. And that's a very kind of straightforward, natural progress for the players where they might not think of a dungeon as turning into a base. But definitely like temples and ruined keeps and stuff like that, I think, are, are great opportunities because uh, like a fortress, right, a keep. The players think of it as this was someone's base, but they don't tend to think of dungeons that way. Yeah. Also, I think like a great example is like a ship. Like if there's a town with a harbor, right? And the players, if the players have traveled via ship or have to meet people on the ship, they could start thinking, wow, this would actually be a really cool base to have because a ship is like a little floating town. It has all yeah. the things that you need to live while you're at sea. And then they have a floating, you know, base that travels around. Yeah, it's it's it can go from place to place, which which is a fantastic point to be made because some some DMs out there might be thinking, yeah, home base sounds great, but I've got a campaign in which my PCs are traveling all over. Right, I don't yeah. necessarily want them to come back to the same place every couple of weeks after every job is done. And whether it's a ship or depending on like what kind of fantasy you're playing, an airship or something sure. along those lines, like a, a floating castle in the sky. Like yeah. there are awesome ways to say, I do want them to have a home base, but we're not going to be bogged down to saying this home base is going to remain in the city of whatever and never move. We're going to have right. a moving home base that they can travel with everywhere. And consider like when you th if you think of a ship like the Starship Enterprise, right? They've, except this is a galleon, right? With like a three master or something. There can be an altar in like the hold for the cleric. There could be, you know, there can be an alchemy lab on a ship. There can be all the things that you would expect to find oh, in a town man. on a ship. Yeah. And I just saw that alchemy lab idea going south. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Like, you know, like it depends on the campaign. I think that something like that, I mean, obviously an alchemy lab exploding on a ship, that could be an adventure on, of itself. <laughs> well, I mean, with the ship idea too, and even with a stationary location, if it's large enough, you're going to have people working. Like, you know, yeah. it, 
you know, and your players alone are not going to be able to have a three-masted galleon and actually be able to sail it very well. So it could just be that you also, as the DM, need to write what's happening with those NPCs while your PCs are off doing the adventurer thing. And you know, and they could come back to try and find their ship and it's not there. And then mm. leading into a whole nother piece of your campaign. That's true, because if your base is movable, there's also the chance that you could come back and it's not in the place. Like if you if you have a castle as your home base and you come back to it and it's been destroyed, it's gonna be obvious because you're gonna come back to ruins or like it on like there's fire coming out, whatever it is. Sure. A, a ship could just simply disappear. <laughs> Right, and I think that there's also that great moment you could have from aliens, right, where the heroes are on the run from the bad guys, and they think, well, we can just use our ship and get out of here, and they get to port, and the ship is gone. Yeah. And they don't know what happened. Is it going to come back? They have no idea. And now you've created a great dramatic tension where the ship returning at the last minute, the captain saying, sorry, guys, uh, I had it was too dangerous. I had to get out for a while. Yeah. Is a great moment. I mean, along with that, it could be even some like especially starting off in a campaign, a home base could be something even a little bit more mundane than what we've been talking about with fortresses or ships or castles or whatever it is. It could simply be a house that your PCs purchase. It could be the basement of a tavern that they've been going to that tavern for for years and they're a ragtag group of adventurers that like they're friends with the barkeep. And so he says, sure, why not meet in the basement? All I've got sure. is down there is ale and flour and all this and just yeah, there's a table in the middle. Go for it. I think a lot of players start with a base in an yeah. inn because and they don't even really think of it as their base. But I think you can encourage that way of thinking by, you know, the bar like there's um I played in in the 80s when I was a teenager and my friend Brad's game and we played in the city of Greyhawk and we frequented this bar that was run by like a stone giant. Hmm. Right. So this is a much more kind of high fantasy version of D&D. And over the course of several levels, this dude really liked us and we helped him out and he helped us out. So then that's when it really started to become our base. Like if people were looking for us, he would help us out. Right. And that's when you feel like it's not just a place with a menu and I can get my long rest in. I actually have ties to this place. This guy helps us out. We help him out. Yeah. And I think like a lot of players like the idea of starting a business. Right. And buying an inn. I, it, uh, I often start my campaigns with the aforementioned against the cult of the reptile god. And in that town, there's like three different inns, I think. Hmm. And I usually have one of them just because I think that's a pain in the butt. I have one of them <laughs> be like empty, you know, because the plot of that adventure is about how people are fleeing the town because they think it's cursed. Hmm. And having there be an empty boarded up inn in the town is a great invitation to the players. Right, you don't even say anything. You just describe that one of the inns has kind of fallen into disrepair because there wasn't enough business and people left and it's boarded up and there's a sign that's still hanging there. And you know, there's a pretty good chance that one of your players will start thinking, "Hey, we could just open that place and make it our own inn and then we don't have to pay the two gold for a room." And that's a great way to get started. And also, it's important to note, I think, especially for new DMs that haven't had this experience, like not all your players are going to want a home base and that's okay. Yep. It, you can't consider it as it's not necessarily a sign of a good player or a bad player i've definitely had players who when the opportunity came up to make some place their own they didn't want to do it they didn't want to be tied down they were like i don't i know i don't want to do that 
I occasionally am taken aback because I, that means I read that player wrong. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that. I just assumed that you were going to want to take this place over. And they're like, no, yeah. we don't want to have, we like being mobile. We like not being tied down. It's always tricky to take your style of play as a dungeon master and just assume that the players are going to engage with it because they might not. And maybe that ship is a great way to like, maybe that's the kind of home base that they would like to. But certainly, yeah, not every player is going to buy into this idea. And this might not also be an idea for every campaign you run. No, I exactly, kind of will yeah. lose the awesome feeling of having a home base if you have it be, oh, well, I wonder what it's going to be this time. Not too excited. Right. Well, and I, I also like the idea that Matt, you had mentioned having it be something that's not occupied and that that's an invitation because you know for the most part you know a majority of campaigns that are run are run with pcs that are considered good people sure the heroes yeah yeah the heroes who don't want to just take it from other good people or have to like figure out how to legitimately purchase it in (laughs) and go through an escrow and all right escrow yeah but the other one that i thought of going off of that idea was like an old speakeasy Hmm. oh sure I like it. They're not necessary anymore. And you could have had, and that can also help build the history of your world where essentially alcohol was prohibited and you had to have these speakeasies, but now, you know, it's fine now and everyone can drink it out in the open, but there's still these underground areas that used to be. Yeah, I think that depending on the kind of campaign you're running, if you have, for instance, if it's set in a a large city that the players visit, you can have, you know, the city watch have outlawed gambling. And so there are gambling dens that are kind of hidden behind Mm -hmm. other structures and the players need to do some gather information. So they discover one of these places. And at that point, the thief player or the bard player is going to start thinking, wow, I could run one of these places. I could open one of these places. And that's a natural kind of home base for a kind of a rogue bard thief character to have that the other player that you might not have otherwise thought of. Now I'm trying to think of like one for every class. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of what the purpose of that's why I'm working on my own supplement for D&D that is a stronghold for every class. That's cool. Each kind of stronghold has class specific benefits that you get for resting there and mm. staying there. So we've talked a lot about different ideas of where we could have it. And I know the number one thing that players do, and this is what my players have done, they just took over a a level of a dungeon that I'm running them through, but now they want to add stuff to it. So like, what are some ideas that we have of things? I mean, we've experienced personally and or that are good, again, incentives to get all that gold away from your players. I mean, have player player buy-in on the home base. Yep. AKA gold sink for your economy because your players have too much. Well, yeah, I think that that, um, you know, you want money to have meaning and it Mm. loses meaning when the players, I mean, when I played just the amount of cash you had was also like score. Right. Mm -hmm. And so just having a lot of money was cool for its own as its, as its own end. And we didn't really worry that much about what it could be spent on. But in this day and age, I definitely, especially even as a player, like you want stuff to spend your money on. And actually, that's something I don't think they've done a very good job of in fifth edition Hmm. is giving the player stuff to spend their money on. But honestly, I think that's because they want the DM to answer those questions. They don't want to answer every question in 5th edition for the DM. I know Mike Merles prefers Dungeon Masters. He wants to encourage the creativity. Yeah. Like, yep. it's up to us to come up with reasons for players to spend money. And I think it depends on your party, right? Because not every party has every role covered. So if you have a party that doesn't have, for instance, a cleric, which is pretty 
common, I think, just because people are like, oh, I don't want to play the healer, right? Mm -hmm. Then a great add-on for your base is, you know, a temple that an NPC cleric can run and take care of. And now you have an incentive to go back to base because there's your cleric there who will heal you up and give you buffs and stuff. One thing I think that is really important when you are talking about like adding things on to your home base, we've talked about it already, but having some sort of a map, I think is really good. Being able to give that map to the players or even having like a small copy for each player to have, maybe even just having each player have their own room as a map so that they can kind of like work on it as they want to. Sure. But even if it might come easily, like it might be a situation like Matt, you talked about where it's already a map that you have made, or it might be something that if they purchase a house or whatever it is, you didn't have a map made. So you could even just say, all right, let's make the map together, guys. Like that's something I did for uh, one of my campaigns and my players had a fantastic time. They were awarded a mansion from the king of a city for basically helping him regain his rule because a doppelganger had been in his place. And like, so as a reward, he gave them this huge mansion. And so we mapped it all out and they loved this place and were able to add on to it constantly by just drawing in the map. Sure. I think that's great. Like it makes it feel like a real place to the players. Yeah. It stops being this, you know, this place they have to imagine. And every player has a different idea of what it's like. And it makes it a place that they created together and they want to spend money to expand on it. And even like, I mean, this is something that because I'm constantly trying to give the players stuff to spend money on, even if they want to do something like say, oh, it would be cool to be able to have like, let's go find a scribe or a wizard we can pay to live here and write scrolls for us, for instance. Right. It's like even that guy's lab doesn't matter if there's already a room that you already have even getting all the stuff for that dude's lab costs money right even before he's made a single scroll for you you have to spend all this money on inks and you know like like a chemistry set and stuff like that and so there's always a way to tell your players this is going to cost money and they're like but wait we already have a room here it's like yeah but that's an empty room right if you (laughs) want a cleric to set up a temple there they have to consecrate it. That costs money. There are rituals. They have to build an altar. That stuff costs money. I really, really like the idea of adding in NPCs that essentially are the things the players would go look for in the first place. Mm. Yeah. But you know, and kind of taking out the you're and you're really taking out the piece. Like once they find them, making it hard for them to find that kind of person again doesn't. I don't know, is really just putting a weird roadblock in front of your players. And essentially, it's like, I know you got the money. You're going to go find the scroll. I might as well have this cranky old wizard that you somehow (laughs) tricked into being in your base be the guy you have to go deal with every time. Right. And it gives the players a reason to go back to their base. And it gives you an NPC that can be a lot of fun to run. Mm-hmm. Because he's going to be an NPC that you made up and can be some another vector for information in your game. This can be somebody that knows things or can find out things that your players otherwise don't have access to. And so, yeah, I think that stuff is great. Yeah, I mean, in my, um, it's going to sound like I'm plugging my stronghold rules. But they, they, you, <laughs> they're not out yet and you can't buy them. So technically, no, I'm not. You roll, when you finish with your stronghold, you roll on this chart and it tells you what followers you get. And you can get stuff like farmers. Hmm. And each one of these things has a role. Like farmers, they make money. They now now your your stronghold produces cash because they have crops that they can sell. You can get a tailor, and not every stronghold has this, right? A fighter doesn't may not have much use for that, but a wizard or a warlock wants to have good duds, and a tailor makes you look good, 
And now you get bonuses to your charisma checks and diplomacy and stuff like that. And so these are all NPCs that the DM can play around with and have fun with, but also provide some kind of mechanical benefit to the players and their characters. When I gave the mansion to my players back in the day, they wanted to hire a bunch of people to work their mansion while they were away. Of course. Uh, yeah, they want a butler. We, yeah, we had a entire like four hour session where it was no battle, just them bringing in new NPCs to interview and we had like a interview they sat down across the table and like and I would sit down on the other side and we'd have an interview mm-hmm. process and I came up with all these NPCs for specific jobs and I wrote down like on little pieces of paper if they had like a flaw or something right. and so the players had to try and figure it out by asking them the right questions and find out if they were going to be a good fit but we went through like you said Butler they got a cook they got some guards they got this is something that I think is a awesome for a home base but they got some caretakers for different animals that they had picked oh, up fantastic That's they cool. had found yeah. dragon eggs so they had to like hire someone for quite a bit of gold to be able to train their dragon their baby yes. dragon as they were away mm-hmm. and they had yeah. to build on to their mansion a place that was like not going to burn down in flames for their little I baby dragon it was fantastic and they they loved it yeah i think that's um that's a great example like for that uh, i should do a, I, could, I feel like i could do a whole episode just on <laughs> so you found a dragon egg right <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> you know like that's classic and then of course there's once the players are in that mode and they're thinking we should find somebody to take care of this dragon egg like like incubate it for us while we're gone there are better answers to that question than others Mm-hmm. Like if you can find an elven druid, then this egg will hatch in three weeks. Yeah. But if you just go grab like, you know, a cop yeah. and say, we're just going to pay you a lot of money. He's going to be like, well, okay, fine. And it's going to take six months, right? Like I always like tying mechanical. This is just me at my philosophy as a designer. It's it's fantastic. If there's role-playing opportunities, it's fantastic. If it's grounded in the setting and it feels real, but I also want there to be some mechanical benefit to this. Like in the yeah. mansion that they've got, if they spend the money and they hire the staff and they have a butler. Now, if they need to negotiate with an NPC, if they do it at their mansion, they get advantage, right? Because the guy's impressed with your your place. Like somebody who might otherwise be neutral to you now is super impressed with how awesome your mansion is. And now you're going to get an advantage on some kinds of skill checks. Perfect. Is there any last things that anybody wants to drop in really quickly for adding on to your home base? So another thing you could add in and that my players actually just did when they took over the dungeon is they actually created like a housewarming party and invited NPCs. Yep. Invited NPCs from the area, NPCs that they had already created a connection with to like further create that connection, get more information. And it's another way that, you know, Matt going all the way back to where you had talked about the community not really accepting, but like having this open door policy and being like, look, we're doing the best we can. We understand. We understand that bad things will happen. (laughs) And unfortunately, they will happen more now that we're here. But understand we're here also to support this community that we're now a part of. Yeah. Yeah. I think that stuff's great. Yeah. And also now when they do that, that's an opportunity for more adventure right because not everybody that responds to that invitation is necessarily on their side Hmm. yep and that might not even be obvious to them at first yeah i think that stuff's great i think that basically it comes down to what you were saying matt that this home base will open up many many doors for role-playing opportunities and i think it's going to open up doors for the players to think in ways that they weren't thinking of before i remember when i had a home that home base mansion 
every time one of my PCs brought down a sweet monster, they wanted to figure out a way to bring it back and make it into a trophy for their den or something like that. Oh, sure, they yeah, they yeah. always loved, like, really, we're talking about a game of pretend where the only real thing is drawing in maybe something onto the map, but, like, they loved having the idea of having a dragon head on the sure. wall. Uh, and yeah. paying good money to have that mounted on their wall. And it, it was just a fantastic way to see them really just invested in this made up world and this made up story that they were playing in. Yeah. And then it's, it behooves us as dungeon masters to make sure, like, you got to write that down when the players are engaged. Even if you thought that was a dumb idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that, it's like, the, it's not up to me to decide if this is a good idea. You guys think it's cool. So now I'm going to write down trophy room yep. and anytime you guys back to go back to base they'll yep. say here you, you lounge in your trophy room and you you look at the great dragon head you have mounted over the fireplace and they're like yeah that's our dragon head yes we yes. did that exactly it also it's players who are listening should consider thinking outside the box and like i, I really threw one of my dungeon masters for a loop when there was an, an abandoned elven tower that i just took over after the adventure and he was not from that tradition of hmm. having a home base and stuff like that and so he was kind of blown away but he loved it you know, yeah. because it took something that you as the dungeon master, you weren't thinking of this as an opportunity for a home base. But when the players decide, let's use this, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I never thought about that. And that I never thought about that is one great place to be as a dungeon master because it's the beginning of invention. It's the beginning of thinking, wow, okay, well, wow, maybe the elves who built this place are going to come back and be like, hey, uh, we would like this place back, you know? And that's those kind of moments when the players throw you a curveball are some of the best times in D&D. Yeah. All right, Matt, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I hope that our listeners had a great time listening to all three of us discuss home bases and brainstorm ideas of how a DM can uh, have a home base in their campaign and uh, maybe just ways that they can uh, help their players to imagine different ways of having a home base and the great aspects of having that home base. If our listeners would like to get in touch with you, maybe talk to you and ask you some questions about home bases or D&D in general or pry you for information of the things that you wouldn't tell us about at the beginning, but you still won't tell them, where can they reach you at? I think the best place to uh, reach out to me is on Twitter. I'm at Matt Colville on Twitter, M-A-T-T-C-O-L-V as in Victor, I-L-L-E. And unfortunately, one of the weird things about being a, a YouTuber growing in popularity <laughs> is that there are lots of people reaching out to me on Twitter and I, I have to kind of pick my battles. So if you reach out to me and I don't respond, it's not because I'm a jerk. It's just because a whole bunch of people tweet at me all the time. <laughs> and I sort of have to pick who I respond to at any given moment based largely on, do I think I have a good answer for that? And sometimes people ask me questions and I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a good answer for that. But if I do, if I can think of something useful to say, I'll respond and I'll probably respond with a retweet. So everyone following me can see your question and my answer. And if they want to check out your YouTube videos, do they just search your name on YouTube? I'm pretty sure if you just search right now, if you just type in running the game on Google, it's like, you must mean Matt Colville, but I'm slash M Colville on YouTube. And I think we're coming up on our one year anniversary of making oh, nice. videos. I started almost exactly a year ago, so I'll probably have to do a video for that. Although I don't know what it'll be. Well, thank you, Matt, for joining us. We really appreciate it. We hope that you can join us again on the Dungeon Masters block in the future. Gentlemen, it was fantastic being on. I had a blast. I yes. love talking about this stuff. I felt like we could have talked for hours. I think we could oh, yeah. have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all we have for you today here at the Dungeon Masters block. And hopefully you enjoyed hearing all about home bases, the who, what, where, when, and sometimes why about them. But if you wanted to email us to talk about your home base in your own campaign, 
You can always do that at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you like the show, you can head over to iTunes to give us a five-star review, which we will read on air, like the ones you heard earlier. And I don't know why I would give you more information on how to do that. It's just iTunes. You know how to do it. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. If you want updates about the show, that's a great place to go. Every time we drop an episode, you will be alerted there. We have a Patreon member shout out of the week. And this week's Patreon shout out goes to DM Thank you. Thank you so much, DMXTM. DMXTM yes. is a platinum dragon. So thank you for your support. What an awesome thing that it just worked out that the episode that you had a surprise question, it happened yeah. to be from DMXTM and the episode that we gave him a shout out for. DMXTM, <laughs> this whole podcast, this is your podcast episode. That's fantastic. This podcast was brought to you by DMXTM <laughs> and the number 51972. <laughs> thank you so much, DMXTM. We really yes. appreciate it. As always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can go check out other shows like the GM Showcase, Geek Wars, and We're So Bad at Adventuring. But that's it from the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all the other people at the table. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. DM Neil's outro goes here. words and stuff it's weird because (laughs) when it switches to you matt it doesn't even have an icon and it really tripped me out i thought something broke i'm a Uh, ghost i'm not here i'm the voice out of the machine ah awesome (laughs) all right so you ready for that secret question here we go i am ready for the secret question if it makes you feel better i also don't know what it is so i'm excited as well secret even from the people asking exactly (laughs) i don't know what it is (laughs) what are we gonna do no i have one final or well if you got it yes i do do go Goodbye.